Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Manor, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. Um, we're just so grateful to see so many faces here to start the year off um, with the church in the word together. Um, so thank you for being here. We're going we're to talk through something today that's familiar. Familiarity is a beautiful thing. I love the familiar, um, you know, I, the, the, the familiar sounds, smells, sights. These things are great. These things feel like home. You know, in a lot of ways, the familiar is home. You know, I'm a creature of habit. I like the familiar things. I wake up in the morning, I'm like, what am I going to do for breakfast? The answer is always oatmeal. I don't like oatmeal. I don't even want oatmeal anymore, but I'm going to eat oatmeal. You know, when my wife and I go out to eat and the, the occasion we get to, I love to look at the menu to pretend I'm going to eat something different, and I'm always going to order the same thing. I, 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 I can't help myself. I love the familiar, but our brains do a weird thing with the familiar. You know, we're designed to always be looking for, you know, new things coming, threats, different things like that to be aware. So the familiar becomes something we can ignore. So frequently when things become so familiar, they can become over here. They can be forgotten about. They can be ignored. They can be put away. Um, And it's really important that those things that do make home, that are familiar, are held close and treasured. You know, I think think of the the, the relationship I carry with with my wife, you know, She's known me for a really long time. She put up with the teenager version of me, and let me tell you what. But there's a familiarity there. And where I am at my worst is when that familiarity becomes something that becomes ignored. Because it's just there. It'll always be there. It must be treasured. And so today we're going to open up a section of scripture that's extremely familiar. I mean, it is one of those, those psalms that Everyone has heard, if you've never been to church, if you listen to rap music in the 90s, you've even heard at least one line out of this psalm. But it carries that familiarity, and that familiarity, when not coupled with a joyful understanding of why it is so familiar, why it is so beautiful, can really take away from the beauty that this psalm is. So if you have your Bible with me, uh, if you have your Bible, could you open it with me? We're going to open to Psalm 23. A very common psalm. If, if, if you've heard it, um, say it as a prayer with me, as, as, as David did. So I'm going to be read, reading out of the ESV. And this is a psalm of David. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, as we 
peel apart the beauty of this psalm that David wrote so many years ago, and we, and we hold it close and treasure it, Lord, open it new to us. Present yourself in your, in your splendor, in your glory, in your majesty, fresh to us, that we can treasure you and hold you tightly, that we can see you for the merciful, majestic, holy God that you are, and we can recognize the great grace with which you have treated us in our fallenness, in our wandering, and in our sin, Lord. May the words that I say today not be mine, Lord, but yours, and may the hearts that hear today be molded to you, Lord. Go forward in this place for the great glory and majesty of your name. We pray all these things through Jesus. Amen. So, I work in like a weird kind of IT sector, and it's always a joke when I talk about what I got my degree in. I have an English degree. And, and so whenever I'm talking like some super technical process, and they're like, like oh, what'd you go to school for? English. Um, originally, I was going to be an English teacher. I wanted to be a high school English teacher. That didn't pan out for a number of reasons. But I ended up saying, okay, what am I going to do with this degree? I was in my third year of school. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do with all this English stuff that I've learned? And I actually made a conscious decision to not only get an English degree, but a degree in poetry. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you can imagine how many software engineers laugh at me when I tell them that. Um, it's a lot, it's, it's for those who. But there was a reason for it. And, and even in, you know, this was not a period of my life where I was necessarily really pursuing God, but he was, he was always working on me. And in my heart, I've loved the idea of metaphor and simile, comparisons we make, um, because we don't necessarily have the ability to always paint a picture for somebody. But if you can use a good metaphor to say, you know, this is like that, it allows somebody to paint a picture in their own mind. And we see Jesus use this all the time when he, he preaches through different parables. You know, those parables are, the kingdom of heaven is like a. You know, is like a. That, that helps us go, oh, I know what that's like. So there's similarities here. There's this, this simile. I'm not, I, I promise not to do an English lesson. Um, but there, there is that need. When we face the majesty and the grandeur and the glory of God, we don't have the ability to wrap our brain around that. So we have to do it through metaphor, through simile, through like. Um, and, and so one of the, the common themes and I pause. I'm going to need a fair amount of water today, so they're, they're, they're pregnant pauses for reflection. <laughs> um, you know, when you have a God who stands outside of time and space, who created everything, who built this all together, we don't have the language to understand it, but we can connect to things that we do know. And one of the big things that is a common theme is the theme of shepherd. Now, I personally... I'm super guilty of an extremely westernized and extremely Sunday-schooled version of what a shepherd is. When I think shepherd, I think the guy in the sweet white robe who's kind of strolling out there with a big, fat, bright white sheep in the Iowa hills of, you know, full alfalfa up to their knees, living life. That's not what shepherding was. And that's not the context that David was writing in. David was a shepherd. So, like, this is something he's intimately familiar with. And he was a shepherd 
in the Judean wilderness. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen the Judean wilderness. It's a desert. They wouldn't keep the sheep places they would grow crops because anyone who's seen a sheep knows what they'll do with crops. They would bring them out in the desert and they'd walk the desert. So when we, uh, when we picture this image of the Lord is my shepherd, it's not a guy standing in a field while we wander around in abundance. Shepherds in the Judean wilderness had to be extremely tactical extremely thoughtful. They had to understand the weather. They had to understand when the humidity was coming in, which side of the mountain is going to have what on it. And they had to constantly adjust themselves to bring it to a place where the sheep would have enough to eat. And this is what makes this, this opening really amazing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. If you could look at the Judean wilderness and say, oh, hey, you know what I want to be? I want to be a sheep in that. There's want. That's the whole thing. It's a desert. A desert is a place of want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And again, I think to like the beautiful streams of Iowa and all this. This is not that place. This is not the shepherding that David is speaking to. He is speaking to green pastures. They're a miracle. Still waters, they're a miracle. And when we miss some of that context and we draw this image of how easy shepherding is, which is, I, I don't know, you're, you, everyone here is probably a lot less guilty of that than me. I grew up in a city where like the shepherds, you know, and, and, and farm raising was like a far off thing. So like I've been learning so much since I've come here. But like the idea that was, I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, you got, some, you got some sheep in a field and you kind of sit out there and, you know, probably playing your iPhone or something, right? No. Not that at all. But it also says, he restores my soul. Don't miss that. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. You know, these are not just our, our needs. You know, we talk about like to make, makes me to lie down in green pastures. You know, I, I've heard this. I don't know this, but you can't make animals really lie down. They, don't, they do it when they're comfortable. Not only will these physical needs be met in fullness and in abundance, but also he restores my soul. You know, if you have ever felt your soul ache, and I'm someone who, who grew up with a, a lot of mental health issues myself, um, that idea of restoration, that's a miracle. He leads me in the paths of righteousness, in the right paths. These are not just physical needs. You see, this is the Lord who is my shepherd. And one quick caveat, and this is a little, this is a little more teachery side of me coming out. When it says Lord, that L-O-R-D and the O-R-D are capitalized, a little bit smaller, but they're capitalized, that actually speaks to the personal name of God. That is, that is the name God gave himself when he spoke to Moses. He said, said I am that I am. That is, when, when that says, says, the Lord, God, this isn't a title. This is him. He is my shepherd, and he restores my soul. But David's also really clear with us why. And this is something where I think if we miss this phrase, we miss what is a beautiful challenge to us in this, because Again, 
I'm super Western. I'm used to everything around being about me and for me and through me and look at how great I am. So why is this God who loves us, who cares for us, why does he make us to lie down in green pastures? Why does he lead us by still waters? Why does he restore our soul and lead us in paths of righteousness? Well, it's right there. For his name's sake. God is a good shepherd to his people. He loves them fully. And he loves them for his name's sake. This is where I bristle a little bit. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, wait, you, what? But what about me? I'm so important. We get the image of the shepherd a bit wrong because we picture it as, you know, kind of easy. But we also get the role of the sheep really wrong <laughs> because God doesn't do these things for us primarily, though he does them for us. He primarily does them for his name's sake. I have to remember, I'm just a lost little lamb. Without my shepherd, I'm off in the wilderness. Again, this isn't like nice Greenland. This is desert with wolves and robbers in scary places. This is where, where, where exposure will wipe me out. Without my shepherd, I am lost. But David is clear that he is motivated by his namesake. As a sheep in the metaphor, it's really hard for me. Like, I want to be subject to God's will. That's, that, that's a challenging line there. And, and I think too quickly we were like, oh, let's get to this next one. That's really great. Uh, but, but we have to pause there long enough to understand that this is what is at the, at the root of, of what God is doing here. You know, we're in a world inundated with shouts that you are your own God. You can build your own life. These three simple steps, all the doctors hate them for it. You know, all these things that... You can build this on your own. And even for folks who've given their lives to Jesus, it could be hard to recognize that God's purposes are bigger than I understand. When I first started you know, maturing in the faith, I remember the idea of evangelism. Evangelism was a competition. You see, I needed to go tell people about Jesus because I'm going to win them. I got this. I, I'm, I'm going mm-hmm. you know, to save them for Jesus. As though that's how it works. You know, and I've heard story after story of person after person who has poured an evangelistic life into somebody, but never seen that person's heart turn to Jesus. That's a good thing. We like to see the effect of the cause. But just as a sheep who has no idea what's going on when they're getting shorn, they just know he's got a sweet haircut, we don't know the full picture of what God is doing in our lives, in time, with us. And that's uncomfortable for us. We're taught that we can control things. The bottom line is we are in the wilderness. If we try to control we will wander, and we wander to our own doom. This is where every prosperity gospel gets it completely wrong. Because it's like, yeah, God wants to do things for you. 
Well, he does. Like, that's, not, that's not a lie. He does want good for his people. But we have to define good by the appropriate standard. But he does it for his name's sake. He does it because he is our heavenly father. Jesus echoes this. Um, we've been spending time in the, the Sermon on the Mount um, in Matthew. And he echoes this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 33. If you want to open there, um, he talks through both sides of this. He says, therefore, actually, I'll give you a second if you want to, give you a second to get there. Chapter 6, verse 33. And this is a section of scripture that I know has meant a lot to, to my wife and myself when we, uh, we went through some, some times of anxiety. But I want to hear all parts of this. And I'm sorry, it's 31 to 33. So we're going to start at 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the glory of his name. Seek the glory of the shepherd. He knows what you need. He knows you need green pastures. He knows you need still waters. But he also operates for the sake of his name, not for the sake of your comfort. David continues, and this is, this is where folks hear a lot. You know, if you've ever been to a funeral, you've probably heard this. Um, and, and it is an important statement, but he says, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Just to really drive home, this is not prosperity messaging, um, we're following this right up with like, yeah, still waters, green pastures. But he's clear that we will not have to walk to or near or around, but through those deep, and dark valleys through the shadow of death. That's not small. That's not unscary. You know, there's, there's a beautiful version of this that is done in the Jesus Storybook Bible. And um, it, it, the, the quote of it, we've read it, we've got it, read it many a time. Even though I walk through the, the, the scary, lonely places, I won't be afraid, you know. There, are, there will be Scary, lonely, deathly times. But we need not fear. Why? You are with me. Yahweh, the God who created all things, is with me in these dark, scary, lonely places. And his rod... His justice, like when we think of rod, I, I was, it's another part of the picture that I get wrong. Like, what's that rod? That rod is a beating stick to whack the wolves on the head with. You know, what's that staff? That staff's not a staff for the sheep to kind of like look at. It's a staff, get over here. 
these are not these, these are not implements of just like like sweet, kind, nice. These are these are these are tools. These are tools for the sheep. They comfort me. His justice and his sanctification comfort me, even in the dark, scary places, even through the shadow of death. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Gonna be honest with you. Very frequent, like, okay, we can move past that. I don't want to spend a lot of time there, that's weird. It's an odd place to set up shop. You know, you set a table before me. A table, when you think of a table, especially, again, in context, tables are a place where you sat back, you reposed, you ate. In the presence of my enemies, though, this is odd. Who's ever like, been like, you know where I want to go to dinner? I want to go to dinner where people want to, want to fight me. That sounds like a really relaxing place. I'm going to get on all my Iowa State gear, and we're going to an Iowa, Iowa State University for We're going to go eat some dinner. You know, it, and David knew a thing or two about having enemies. Like, the story of David, he was anointed king while there was a king. That king got word of it and was none too thrilled about it and, you know, tried to kill him for a lot of years. And being the king, he had the resources to do so. Um, so he knew what it meant to, to have enemies. Uh, but God prepares a table for us to partake in, in front of our enemies. And, and Jesus echoes this as well when he's talking to his disciples in John 15, verse 18 and 19. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But you are not of the world. I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You start to see the image shift a little bit. It's moving away from sheep, lambs, and wilderness to a table. But this table will not be a table of, you know, pure comfort. Even in the comfort that's laid out before us, even in, in, in the provision, you will be in the presence of my enemies. In a world that celebrates debauchery, <clears throat> Excuse me. Self-gratification, self-glorification, self-love, which you should love yourself, but you should be very aware of how you're told to love yourself. To set down as the sheep of a great and good shepherd is going to be bring people who look at you and go, oh, you're one of those. And you'd be surprised the folks that you'll have that with. I have issues with that within my own family. I've had issues with that with, with people who believe. Like, oh, but you you believe like that. Okay. But what does David say in the midst of this? You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What an affirmation. <laughs> like, <laughs> what a statement. What a commitment. After the harsh picture, we've got a valley of the shadow of death. We've got here's a table, there's enemies. You will anoint my head with oil. Anointing with oil was, 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 a, was a symbol of, of setting apart. You know, it's what they did for kings. 
You know, David was anointed. He, when he was declared, you will be the king of Israel, they did that by anointing him. So that, that, that picture of anointing is a picture of setting apart. Who's doing the anointing? Who's the you? This isn't, this isn't Andrew anointing somebody. This isn't even king of Israel anointing somebody, which would have been a big deal. This is God. You anoint my head with oil. You set me apart. How? And this is the coolest part about this. The good and great creator of the universe sent his son to set us apart. Not just, not just a little sacrifice, but the sacrifice of his son. Jesus called himself the good shepherd who laid his life down for the flock. He knew this psalm. He knew who the shepherd was. He knew the great good shepherd. He paid the penalty of our sin to anoint us, to set us apart, to set us aside. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Again, Goodness and mercy, but enemies, but valley of death. Remember? This is not a natural goodness, nor is it a natural mercy. This is not the world being good or the world having mercy. It's a goodness and mercy poured out by the Father through his Son, through Jesus. The outcomes of his goodness and mercy, they're not the prosperity as world would count them. They're not the good things, the nice shoes, the fancy hats, and whatever all else is out there. They are eternal gifts. And if you look at where we end, we started as sheep in the wilderness with this good shepherd. But where do we end? These are eternal gifts that land us, and I shall dwell in the house of of the Lord forever. Let that sit. This is not a drinking pause. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus is the very embodiment of the goodness and mercy that follows us all of our days. He, this goodness will not always feel good as our feelings count good. A lot of times, it'll feel pretty awful. I'll never forget when, when God started to work in my wife and my heart to redeem us back to himself, to bring us into a true and saving knowledge of who he was. You know what we spent a lot of time doing? Crying. <laughs> we were faced with goodness. Goodness when you're not good hurts. But that goodness and that mercy follows me every day of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This psalm is familiar for a lot of reasons. It is a good familiarity. It's not one of those passages that I think is like a trite novel. We've certainly been good at doing that. We're extremely good at making things trite in America. But this is good. This is a good picture of who God is, how he has provided, and how he will bring us into his presence forever. So what do we do with this?
I'd say two different things. If you have not put your faith in Jesus, if you have not sat before him and accepted him as your savior, as the lover of your soul, as the way to set you apart, to be a part of God's house forever, would you? Would you? Would you face that goodness and that mercy and that love for a shepherd who will seek you out in the wilderness and guide you along and fulfill and satisfy every need of your heart, though it may not be everything you want? Would you? He is a good and true shepherd of his father's people, and he is calling everyone to himself. Would you answer that call? And if you have put your faith in Jesus to rescue you, will you find your rest in him? It's New Year's. It's resolution time. Do not find your rest in resolutions. Do not find rest in your successful 2022. Do not find rest in all the good things you have done or plan to do. Find your rest in the shepherd. Find your rest in the one who created and crafted all of eternity in his hands and who knew you before you were born, who loves you enough to send his own son for you. Find rest there. There is no greater gift. As, as we close, I would, I would leave you with the beauty of familiarity. This is a good song. May it stay in your heart and, and, and call you to the beautiful places that God has for you through Jesus. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, King of the world and shepherd of each individual one of us, Lord, we, we thank you and we praise you for you are good. You are merciful. You are great and you are powerful and you have seen fit to care for us. Though we do not deserve it, though we cannot earn it, Lord, you have given us a gift of mercy in your Son. Lord, we pray that you would move in this place, that you would move through the words of today, through your scripture, through these relationships, Lord, to redeem a people to yourself for your name's sake. We love you, Lord. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.